From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right, if you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right, speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois, and currently residing in both Miami, Florida and Chicago, Illinois. She is the CCO and co-founder of DeskPass. Please welcome Nicole Vasquez. <laughs> That's the sound of me running. Bump, bump, bump. She is Nicole Vasquez. She is the CCO and co founder of Desk Pask. Desk Pass lets you, as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer, as a remote worker, get access to all of the best co working spaces in your city for one monthly cost. So instead of being tied down to one individual spot, or instead of having to take meetings at a Starbucks or any other coffee shop, or have to worry how can you make that phone call without your cat in the background or your dog barking or having like your kitchen as your backdrop if it's a video call, Desk Pass lets you go to the co-working spaces in your city, set up shop for the day, go, go to different spaces every day of the week if you want, and essentially make yourself feel like a legitimate business. Now, DeskPass has been around for a few years, and in the time since they launched, they have expanded to 19 cities and 475 partner co-working spaces, as well as 700 bookable meeting rooms, private spaces, uh, for example, like conference rooms, podcast studios, et cetera, bookable by the hour. They have now reached 10 employees. Nicole, with all of that, I just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me and, and definitely best introduction ever. <laughs> Our topic today, which I'm super excited about, especially because I work with several marketplace companies and I know you've got a lot of experience in this. So I think our listeners are going to get a lot here. The topic today is rapid marketplace expansion. Can you tell us why this is on your mind and why this is important to you? Mm. Well, I mean, you have to keep growing right <laughs> in the beginning. Um, but I mean, when you have a product that can satisfy so many customers across the nation, you have to scale and, and it comes down to a strategic approach to that. Um, as a small business owner starting out six years ago, I certainly know that you have to continually improve your product and grow and partner up um, to be able to grow quicker and uh, more efficiently than you could potentially do on your own. And we certainly wouldn't want to be stagnant either. Now, before we dive into rapid marketplace expansion, let's learn a little bit about Nicole, the person. Now, Nicole, I first met you, I believe, in 2015, and you were running, now for background for everyone, Nicole is like the co-working queen. Uh, <laughs> she, she has, in her life, um, operated, started, operated, and sold one co-working space. She's actually still co-founder of a second co-working space. So I met you back in 2015 when you were running your mm -hmm. first space, The Shift. Yep. And I remember after leaving that meeting, I, I turned to Levi, who ultimately became your business partner for the second space. And I remember I turned to him and I was like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who loves co-working as much as Nicole <laughs> does. So where does that love come from? I, I'm glad. You know what? I think that's a good sign that I'm in the right industry, right? Because if you, if you left that meeting and was like, man, that woman is miserable at what she does, <laughs> I wouldn't still be in it. 
But I think it comes from my background. Um, I grew up in a multicultural household. I'm half Filipino, half Croatian, and then I grew up going to American schools. So I think I learned from a very young age that there's no one way to do a certain thing, right? There's, there's multiple approaches, but also that the best environments that I thrive in are ones that have varying perspectives and, and people from all different backgrounds. And so when I uh, fell in love with co-working, I had walked into a co-working space. I looked around and I said, well, there's a group of people in suits and there's a group of people playing ping pong and there's a group of uh, there's somebody individually working heads down with you know headphones on I said what is this place like how could all of these people reside and be working in this place and there was also an energy to it there was an energy to it unlike other offices that were very siloed and heads down so the first time I walked into a co-working space it was 1871 um, in Chicago I went I, I was there for an event. I turned around and went to the receptionist and I said, what is this? <laughs> and that's how I learned about co-working. And once I discovered the concept, I was still working um, for a sales and marketing company at the time. And I spent a year obsessively researching about co-working and knew that I wanted to start a space like this because I said, not only had I tried out um, the different types of work styles, right? The individual office where you're sitting by departments and you have gray walls and everything's really kind of quiet and boring and very uh, buttoned up. I, then the other opposite was that I was, I had tried sales and marketing and I was working out of Starbucks and from my kitchen table office and sometimes working out of my car. Um, and I saw the two extremes of the current types of workplaces, uh, you know, the typical office and then the work from home setup. And I knew that this was the happy medium and this was the way going forward. That would be the best environment for somebody to thrive who has a flexible schedule or works from their computer. Um, and that's, that's how I fell in love. And I, I am still very much in love with this co-working concept to this day. Well, and your intuition there is spot on with just where the general trend of the economy started to head as well. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's obvious that co-working is a thing now, but it was not obvious as recent as four, five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And all of the numbers, if you look at all the statistics year over year, the amount of remote work uh, continues to grow, which means the amount of co-working spaces will continue to open despite, yes, there's been some things in the news about some of the big players having setbacks, uh, unfortunately, but that's due to their own mismanagement. The actual industry of co-working um, and remote work is continually year over year rising. Now, you said before that in, in that story there, you said that you, know, you fell in love with co-working. And I, what I think is interesting, I just learned this recently through an Instagram post of yours. <laughs> fell in love with co-working to the extent that you met your husband yep. through an introduction <laughs> that came via co-working. Can you just explain that story? It is real. It is real, people. So if you're sick of the Tinder bumble, you know, give it, a, <laughs> give, it a, give another another channel a shot. But I hosted the first co-working conference in Chicago a few years ago, and a woman that attended was managing a co-working space. And uh, I said, she's a, she's a nice woman. She apparently thought the, nice, the same about me. We became friends on Facebook. And then a week later, uh, she sent me a text that said, hi, dot, 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 and uh, said, I, would, I thought about you, and I, I would like to introduce you to my soon-to-be brother-in-law. And being newly single, I was like, no. And then five minutes later, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go on a blind date. And I went on a blind date. And it, and to this day, she's still in co-working. We actually do business together and our companies are very close and uh, we have a great friendship as well. And we're now related. So yeah. co-working, <laughs> co-working does bring love. And actually with just this uh, year, we found out that two DustPass members uh, are engaged. Uh, wow. And actually they just they just recently got married. We just posted about it on our blog. So co-working truly does bring people together, usually professionally, but as uh, humans go, sometimes yeah. that can fall into the love category. <laughs> There's the new desk pass slogan. Co-working yeah. <laughs> creates love. <laughs> and I'll tell you, and, and, and the person you're referring to is, is a woman named Kaylee. And I, you know, I first met her as well, uh, just I think through being on desk pass and then going to that co-working space, novel co-working at the time. And I, I just remember like she was, I think that's how we met her. Maybe we've met tangentially before that, but like she always takes the time to like get to know you. And every time mm -hmm. I happen to bump into her, she like will spend five minutes with me to catch up. And I'm always mm -hmm. just so like appreciative of that. Uh, even when like, I don't know, I feel like I have a million things going on and I'm sure she does as well. She always is just very cool about like taking time for you and getting to know you. So it's no surprise that she would be the one to introduce you to who would then be her brother-in-law who would then become your husband. 
it's interesting that you bring that up because one, that's also just Kaylee as a person. She is one of the most kindest, considerate hearts um, and friendly as well. But in general, co-working space managers are also referred to as community managers are very known to be friendly. Uh, my joke when I was running my first location for two years and I was the person there every single day is that people would come in and before they even sat down and put their stuff down or had a cup of coffee, they would say, Hey, Nicole. And they would just talk to me for 10 minutes, like mm -hmm. almost like a therapy session. And it's because people are coming in every day and they're seeing the same people and they're making, they're making connections and having friendships that they want to have. Right. And so these community managers, they, they sit at the front desk or they're, they're walking around throughout the space and, you know, seeing the same people every day. It's just like in a regular office, you make friendships. And what's interesting is the joke that I love is that uh, co-working is the co-workers that you actually choose, uh, the co-workers that you like. Because in a regular office, let's say you don't get along with somebody, but you kind of have to smile and make do. In co-working spaces, these people become friends because they actually enjoy each other. And usually the community manager is the heart of that community, which is why they're called community managers, because these co-working spaces are true ecosystems. And you'll notice when that person, that quality is lacking in a community manager because I remember being yeah. several years ago spending about five months at a WeWork and <laughs> a particular community manager at that location specifically I remember my business partner Martin at the time always looked at each other we were like how does she have this job <laughs> she's so <laughs> she cold every like, time yeah she, she yeah, doesn't exactly. even like being here yeah so okay let's talk through now so our topic today is rapid marketplace expansions we have your idea your love for co-working um, down and, and that kind of creates the natural natural transition to then building a technology platform around access to co-working. And that's really what Desk Pass is. Can you talk through just how this got started? Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, my partner, Sam Rosen, who uh, started the first co-working space in Chicago more than a decade ago, he was traveling to New York and he was frustrated because he had to go back to, to working from a hotel or a coffee shop because although there were, of course, co-working spaces out there, he, did, he couldn't become a member for just a day. So he, of course, said, look, remote workers travel a lot. How come I don't have access to co-working spaces in other cities? There's got to be a solution. And then I, at the same time, was running my first location, and I knew that it took people months to finally give co-working a try. I had people coming in and saying, you know what, I, to be honest, I've been following you and your business for six months. I finally came in because I just, I just had to get out of the house. And so what I knew as an owner is that the consumer knowledge about co-working was lacking. And then also once they found out about it, because they hadn't done it before, they were very hesitant to try it. And so it took them a while. So you know, between Sam and I, uh, the issues that we saw, we knew that there needed to be something out there that helped people to find and uh, access the workspaces in their area, as well as other uh, areas, which would accelerate the time it took for them to get into the rhythm of co-working and kind of discover the light, right? Find out that the home office and the coffee shop is, is truly not the best setup for somebody who works remote, but to truly discover these co-working spaces and get into a rhythm and be able to have easy access to them. Now... With that being the genesis of Desk Pass, you've got to then start, you, could, you, know, you can come up with the idea, but then you got to now acquire actual co-working spaces and get them onto the platform. So how did you initially acquire these spaces and what were those conversations like? So uh, being a technology company, I won't, of course, go deny the fact that we had to build a product um, and we had a great team to do that. So, of course, you have to build the product, but then uh, we had to invite the partner spaces. So in the beginning, it was relying on our network. So Sam and I both had uh, good connections and relationships with other co-working space owners in Chicago, having been owners ourselves and also being well, very and this active. Was, in the this was after you had done that conference, right? Yeah, so I'm sure yeah. you had access to like literally everyone in Chicago. Exactly. And I think that speaks to, you know, I think back to the early years of being an entrepreneur, you and I, we were at all the events, right? We yeah. were meeting people, you're having coffee. Like, I definitely think that there is in the beginning, I mean, and you should continue to do that even when you are heads down um, in a growth stage, but it speaks to how valuable it was in the beginning of building my uh, entrepreneurial career to be going out to these events and to really be interested in other owners and, and having coffee with them. Because when the time came around for Sam and I to say, Hey, we have this idea, we believe it's going to be great, but we need you to sign up for it. Um, you know, for them, it was a risk, right? They're okay. I have to take five, 10, 15 minutes, set up this profile. Who knows if anything's going to happen from it, but they liked us. They believed in us. They thought we were, so I think it really speaks to, to building that 
reputation. So in the beginning, it was definitely just leveraging our existing relationships and going for the low hanging fruit. Chicago being, we knew a lot of people who were in the co-working industry and, and they would give us a shot. So you were able to pretty much tackle Chicago through the previous connections you had made, which is always a great route to go when, when that mm-hmm. exists. How long did you, st- I guess let me ask it this way. Did you have in mind, okay, we're going to stay in Chicago, only Chicago and operate and master the, the whole process and everything for X number of months or years before we pick city number two, or did that next city come organically? And, and how did you decide where to go next? We did not have a set in stone plan, like in six months or three months, we must expand. But there were also considerations like competition. We knew that there was a company uh, doing something somewhat similar. And so you have a worry about getting there first, right? But then also knowing that this is a product that, that should be scaled, um, it, it, was, um, it was getting to the level in Chicago that we felt comfortable that what we were, the service we were providing was up to par and running smoothly. And once we got to that level, we knew that it was ready. It was time to go to the next city. Um, And also just continual motion, right? You want to keep, you don't want to be a perfectionist. We all know the lean startup model um, and and staying too too hard and too long in the same market. So then the next one was, that's how do do we get to the next one? Yeah. Well, but I think too, even though you don't want to like, there's a difference between staying too long because you become a perfectionist versus knowing you have some core like principles down or, or core elements of like launching a city or, or creating interest in a city first before saying, Hey, now let's open up the second one. I, and I think there is that like fine line there between, True. between, Hey, we, everything must be perfect versus nothing is good at all. So let's just go because we can't, you can't be perfectionist. Right. Is that helpful? Great point. I completely agree. And we also, I mean, at that point, just because we had proven it was working in Chicago, we all know markets vary. Um, we, it didn't mean that it would be, you know, successful in other cities. And so that was another impetus, right? It, to, to continue scaling is let's make sure this works in Denver and also New York and LA and San Francisco and Austin and all of those places. So um, I don't know if you happen to say those in order, just because I can't oh. top of your head or because it actually was in order, but was Denver the second city then? So again, so I, I kind of thought about this before our chat, the different stages of expansion. And the first stage was the low hanging fruit, right? Relying on our networks and asking for help from people that we knew. The second one, um, or the first, so the first few cities were like that. Denver and New York were our second and third. And the reason that we consider them like low hanging fruit is because we had good friends in those cities. Um, in Denver, uh, a good friend of ours, Craig Bowdy, who started one of the first working spaces in Denver, also started and continues to run the Denver Coworking Alliance. So he had those similar friendships uh, and network with other owners the same way we did in Chicago. So we approached him. He loved the idea. He believed in the product. We rewarded him for his time and he made soft introductions for us to other spaces. So it's kind of like going to the top of that network and that hierarchy or not maybe a hierarchy of that network and saying, who do we know that can, can give us some soft intros and vouch for us? Because in these early stages, we didn't have the credibility, but, um, we, and we need to rely on those, those introductions. And it was the same for New York and also Austin and LA. So we did that with all of those cities. We had a, we had a contact on the ground there. What you just described there is something that I've talked about on previous episodes, which is this concept that I call super connectors. Mm-hmm. Where the super connector is the one, instead of having to individually go to each end customer, mm-hmm. you go to someone or some entity at the top who has access to all of your customers or a large base of your customers where you can establish a relationship there either they just put you directly in front of or they can make introductions or they can you know you become you know just embedded in what they're doing in a way that it makes the end user end customer acquisition you know you've you've cleared that hurdle of like how do Mm -hmm. i find them how do i get in front of them etc well think about it how we all have advertisements displayed to us all times right and it usually takes how many times for us to see that ad to buy something but then if somebody is a diehard Tim Ferriss listener, when he recommends something, oh, they're buying it immediately. Or you're a health and wellness, you know, fanatic, and you have somebody you follow on Instagram religiously. When they say it, 
you, you know, it, it takes away the five times yeah. it would take for you to buy it on your own um, because it they basically are vouching for it. Yeah. And the, and the key differentiator here, though, is that there's a difference between like what we're calling a super connector versus simply a referral like from totally. one person to one other person. This is getting access to an entire network from one mm -hmm. person, group or entity. Mm -hmm. Now, when you are having conversations, so it's one thing to get that referral or get that introduction, but then there is still an effort that has to take place on your end. Like, cause you got to live up to what they said in the introduction and, and you can't show up being like, well, we got the introduction, screw it. Well, you know, so what were those conversations like ultimately with the individual co-working spaces? So something I always think about, I, I don't know who said it, but it was a sales thing. It says, if you can speak your customer's language, if you can understand the problems that they're having, the sales process will go that much smoother, right? And so what's interesting is we are owners of co-working spaces ourselves. And these partners of ours, they are also co-working space owners. And so we genuinely understood the problems that they were experiencing, which is the lack of of consumer knowledge about co-working and how hard it is to just get people to try co-working and that advertising themselves, you know, Google AdWords and all that stuff was very expensive and they didn't have the budgets that say a big company like a WeWork had. And so we approached them and said, look, we're owners. We know the struggles that you're having. We have built this model that allows us to do all the work for you. We'll spend our own money in advertising. We'll find and send you people. All you have to do is just agree to host them, our members when they come in and then we'll do the rest of the work. And so as, and then also because we are owners ourselves, we are not competition with spaces. We're not middlemen. And we built a model that made sure that we did not compete with them in any way. So we built a model that helps them. And so when we explain it to them, it's, it's almost a no brainer. It's, for, it's free for them to participate. We pay them for every person we send their way. There's no work on their team. We spend our own advertising marketing and then we send new people into their space. Um, and then after the person comes in, if they think they're a good fit, they can follow up with them. So it really helps to be, to, to come at it from a perspective of what the spaces need um, and to have built a model that satisfies that and really promotes them. Like we would not be in business unless these coring spaces are in business. And so I feel very comfortable about that. Can you talk through a little bit more of that concept of it being a no brainer for them? And I asked that from the perspective of, cause in the past I have explained desk pass to others and sometimes not saying other coworking owners, yeah, I'm just saying uh -huh. people, right. And sometimes like if they're an entrepreneur, if they're a business person, and they're thinking about the business of it, they'll be like, yeah, but wouldn't that just take membership away from the co-working space? Why would they say yes to that? So can you just talk through more about how it is a no-brainer for them? It's a great point. And I, that's why I still have a call with every owner. We are finding new channels of new sales channels. And so for a space is spent to acquire a new member, they're usually having to do um, online marketing or some sort of time on their staff or marketing budget to acquire these people. We spend our own money in advertising and we bring new sales channels. So we do a really good job of casting a wide net and getting people in to learn about coworking and bring them in and get them into the funnel and then have them come into the space. So mm -hmm. we're, we're great at that. We're great at lead gen. So, I mean, think about a space. If they don't work with us, they can spend their own time and money to, to try to acquire their own customers, or they can set up a profile on our platform for free and sit back and let us bring new members in. One thing I'll say to add to that is, so I am a desk pass user myself and I spent, I think pretty much a full year with a desk pass membership. And then May of 2019, I decided to get a permanent spot where I am now, which is blue lacuna in the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago. But I did not relinquish, I just downgraded my desk pass membership mm -hmm. to like the light version because what I still find is that even though I set up base here, I have meetings in other parts of the city where it just doesn't make either, it doesn't make economical sense either from, a, from time economics or even just like Uber or driving or parking economics to go to that meeting and then come all the way back. And then if I have another meeting, you know, go in between. And I, and I really 
like adamantly hate working out of coffee shops mm-hmm. where that damn like bean roaster like is like you know every three minutes and it's you know there's music blaring that you don't even like so where where i still find value in it and why i think it doesn't take away and and if anything it just adds more people and more exposure to an individual space is even if you find permanent residency somewhere even if you have permanent residency somewhere it still lets you when you have to be out and about be professional still or, I mean, now that DeskPass is in so many cities, like, funny thing is, when I first signed up with DeskPass, my first use of it was going into Austin, Texas. Oh. Like, I had, I happened to, like, sign up for it, because, and I, and I was going to the fund conference in Austin that week, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, why don't I just use it, for? because I know they're in Austin now, so I'll just go to some co-working spaces before the conference starts, because I was spending time before and after the conference. So, it, it you know, it gives you that flexibility within town, but then also if you've got to travel to other spots as well, not have mm-hmm. to worry about where, because it, it can be a, like a mental burden to just figure out where do I, ha- where can I go today if you don't have set you know, places already there for you. So I, I'm doing a yep. good job selling desk pass right now, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to, so I speak from the user side and I, I do want to touch on the users here. So, you know, I heard about desk pass because I knew you already. Obviously, I mean, you know a lot of people, but you don't know everyone. <laughs> so how is DeskPass, uh, how have you been able to get the word out to users and actually get people to sign up for trials or memberships and actually go to these co-working spaces? So, yeah, we've definitely evolved in the beginning. DeskPass was great for, it is still great for individual workers and small teams. At this point, we're at a, at a, part, a, a place where we have enterprise companies using our platform and putting hundreds of employees on, on the, the, the platform. But um, in the beginning, you know, when we were at, in the beginning looking for the individual user, you know, Facebook ads, local ads. Um, and, but we spoke to the problems that people were feeling, right? Like when you're working from home, you get frustrated, you get distracted. Uh, one of our ads is a photo of a sink full of dirty dishes. And I don't even like the photo, but it does really <laughs> well because it says like, you know what, I forget, it, it, it is like, talks about how if you work from home and you have that sink full of dirty dishes like it's, it's bothering you right like and it's it's a, it's just not a work environment and so we've done really well with local ads facebook ads because it allows us to convey the message but also because of the highly targeted uh location ability because if we're in chicago and you know the density of spaces are in a certain area we certainly don't want to be advertising in indiana um now we you know we have a lot of enterprise companies who have demands for their employees to work remotely and and we're reaching out to them uh we have a business development person um teammate and we are they're also reaching out to us so i, I definitely think that the the word our marketing will continue to evolve based on the type of users uh since we do have a, a variety now we're gonna talk in a second about how you've continued to expand we talked about stage one was low-hanging fruit and we'll get into stage two in a second. Before that, though, I want to let our listeners know about a new partner of the show in Sales Hacker. So if you have listened to this show for a while, uh, and especially over the last few seasons, and you know that I try to feature more B2B startups on the show or marketplace startups that have a B2B side, for example, DeskPass and Nicole. And Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It is 135,000 members large, And that means whether you are a CEO, the head of sales, the VP of sales, or a sales rep, Sales Hacker has your back with with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including yours truly, all to help you be better at your job of growing the company. There's no fluff from outside content marketers. You just get the straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I'm a big fan of Sales Hacker, and that's why I'm really excited to have them as a partner of the podcast now. So you can join the Sales Hacker community for free at www.saleshacker.com. Again, you can join Sales Hacker's community for free and get access to all those articles, the research, the podcast, the webinars, and more at www.saleshacker.com. Today on the show, we are with Nicole Vasquez, the CCO and co-founder of DeskPass, and we are talking rapid marketplace expansion. To this point, we've talked about how you got off the ground, how you built your initial customer on the 
co-working side and then we just came off of how you acquire acquired and have been acquiring users for the platform you define stage one as the low-hanging fruit where did you already have relationships built at some point as a company grows those relationships start to run out they might always still be there to agree but they start to mm -hmm. run out and you have to start making the more quote-unquote cold outreach so what was stage two like for desk pass Stage two for us was about coverage. So like looking at the map, being in Chicago, New York, LA, and Austin, those I would believe would be under our low hanging fruit, right? We had contacts in those cities. Then you look at the map and you say, okay, well, we have nothing in the Pacific Northwest. We have nothing, um, you know, the, the south, uh, Southeast area. And so it came to wanting to have coverage on all parts of the map because for marketing purposes and also for people who travel, making sure that we had coverage in all parts of the nation. Um, and then also being in certain big cities continue to validate our feasibility. And we also gain legitimacy. But being in two cities is different than being in 10 cities. And so that stage two was all about coverage and just and confirming that um, legitimacy and that valid getting that validation. Because at that point, we started talking about, you know, having to raise funds and things like that. And so it was it was the boost that we needed, we needed to build that that foundation. So did it start with like a cold outreach email then? So yeah, I still to this day uh, do the outreach. So of course I have an assistant that pulls the, the list uh, of spaces in each city and, and does some initial research, but ultimately I still email or call or, um, you know, reach out to every space that we invite to join because we do want to make sure that it's a good fit and that, you know, the qualifications are there, but then I still request a phone call. Um, it used to be a meeting when we were not growing as quickly, which I really loved because I get to go in and see the space. But um, now it's I request a phone call um, to, with every single space that we invite to join just to make sure that they know who we are and our story, because I think that's really important um, to convey our mission and also to answer their questions, because every single space is unique. And I want them to feel heard and understood that we are going to you know, respect and understand their unique community. I want to just add an anecdote to what you just said there because it's so important and I think a lot of companies overlook it, especially in like the growth stage, which is the importance of the personal human touch. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes when you're trying to acquire a lot of customers um, and a lot of times in the marketplace um, type of structure, the thought process is, oh, we can like email blast out and put a sign up now button and we'll get a bunch of people interested. And in fact, um, two episodes ago, we had Deepa Kartha from um, Zinda and she explained how that was what she thought would work at first and it just didn't. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you like, you know, I've been working over the last year with a well-being marketplace company in Melbourne, Australia named Ivana and their CEO was a guest on this show a few uh, weeks back. And one of the things we worked very closely on in their sales development and their their market outreach was the personal touch mm -hmm. of the outreach itself and, and their biz dev rep uh, Ben they also have a similar like no-brainer type of um, value prop but it doesn't mean no-brainer to the point that we're not going to use our brains and we're going to just put something in front of exactly. you and tell you to sign up right it's still a build the relationship with them. Because if you do, and, and tell me if you're experiencing this as well, because what's happened in Ivana's case is, you know, they personally talk to every practitioner who, who they onboard onto their platform, at, which creates the right, like, you know, story for them, right? They're able to get across that story. And then the practitioner is bought into them because of the story. And it's less of like, a, oh, this thing I signed up for, yeah, whatever. And then they, all, they also then become advocates on their behalf to other people in the community. Are you finding that as well? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, co-working is already such a personal industry, but look, for me, taking five minutes to explain that, hey, I quit my job six years ago to start a co-working space, they almost always go, oh, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not selling you. I'm actually coming at this from a perspective of I've, I've been in your shoes. I still am in your shoes being a covering space owner. And this has worked for us. I've converted members at my own space from dust pass. Um, and here, you know, and then also just allowing them to tell me, you know, look, I can go to their website and learn all about their memberships and what makes their community unique. 
but I still to this day, even though sometimes it can take a lot more than five minutes for them to say it, but they're proud of it. I think, tell me about, you know, tell me about your space and also tell me what your goals are because we all know in selling it's, it's, if you know what they're hoping for and you can deliver that result, it, it's also a no brainer. Right. So I just say, tell me what you're looking to accomplish. Like what are your goals? Is, you know, and if they say, look, we really need to fill up these seats. Then I explain how we fill up those seats. Mm-hmm. So now, is it typically a one conversation and they're in, or do you find it is a sales cycle that you know expands several meetings and 30, 60 days? What does that sales cycle look like? So thank goodness for a CRM. And it's one of those things that for a long time, first few cities, I, I think I would use like a spreadsheet and then like set <laughs> reminders for myself to follow up with someone. And then when I finally switched, my partner Sam was like, oh, do you want to use a CRM I'm using? I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And then within like three <laughs> weeks, I was like, why, why have I not been using this? Um, I mean, it is like, there's, a, I have different columns in my CRM. The first is just outreach. Like, have I reached out to them? And the second one is like, have they responded? But them responding doesn't necessarily mean that we have a call or a meeting schedule. And then you know, and so I set reminders all along the way and the CRM makes it all automatic, right? It pings me every morning saying, here's what, here's the people we have to follow up with and through every single stage. So, it, I mean, I can have spaces, have a call with me today and be ready by tonight and email me and say, Hey, I did everything, you know, activate my profile. And then I can have spaces that take six months to get set up, but mm-hmm. thank goodness for us for a CRM keeping me organized because, you know, when I'm trying to launch multiple cities at once um, and have people all along the the way uh, in different stages your brain is not going to be as good as a crm is would you consider that to be then kind of like you know oftentimes we talk about creating like a sales playbook now the crm Mm -hmm. is a technology that helps enact that but as you expand into your cities and onboard new spaces is this like a documented process now you've put together or are you just kind of like intuitive like well i know what to do so i'll do it uh, it should be, and it will be a documented process, um, <laughs> when I hire the person that eventually, and then it is documented. I mean, within my CRM, if you took a look at it, you would see the different, um, the different channels, right. Or the sure. cycles of it, the stages, sorry. Um, so somebody could very well understand the progression of events, but when we, we are at a point where if we need to keep growing, uh, and we're, we, if we want to grow much quicker than where we're going, we have to leverage technology and automation. And so the next step, I mean, I might, I have to hire a lot this year. I could potentially hire someone else to be doing what I'm doing, but I think it will be a combination of having somebody in the beginning, but then relying on some sort of automation that allows, you know, after that initial conversation, they go through an automation process. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be the next stages. But there should always be a a strategy and a, a playbook. Absolutely. So, We've talked about stage two and, and I guess, how would you, if stage one is labeled low hanging fruit, how would you label stage two? For me, I had it written down as coverage, like we, coverage and legitimacy. We wanted to have coverage across the nation, but we also wanted to show our legitimacy. Um, I guess that's how I'd say stage is, two. Stage, is there mm-hmm. a stage three? Oh yes. There's a stage four. <laughs> <laughs> um Stage three is where we're at now, which I would call strategic partnerships. So we are at a place now where we have enterprise companies saying, look, we have X amount of, uh, of employees in Raleigh, Durham. And if you can get that open by, you know, within the next month or two, we will put all of our employees on best pass. So this strategic partnerships, is, it's also like strategic opportunity based, right? Because mm-hmm. At this point, we've, we've got all the, the, the big cities with the density of co-working spaces, and we're going into cities that maybe have 10, 15, or less spaces. And so at this point, it's like, which one do we choose is going to be based on where the opportunity is mm. in so, terms of par- partnerships yeah, and companies but, that want to use it. It's essentially continuing to climb up the ladder of access, right? Mm-hmm. Where... It's like first you went to like the straight contacts who you knew, then you find the super connectors and now it's like the next level of super connector and and also the next expansion of who you serve with this enterprise Mm -hmm. customer, right? Not just the freelancers remote or not just the freelancers entrepreneurs, but the, we've got remote workers in this city. We want to give them a place to work. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting too is, is staying true to the model that we built because 
look, could I at this point say, hey, it's an open application, any co-working space in any city, just submit your info, create a profile, and now we're nationwide and we'd be in 100 cities, but have maybe one space in each city, each of those cities. You know, there's a reason that we don't do that. There's a reason. I mean, the, the appeal of DustPass is for somebody to have instant access to workspaces and meeting rooms in their city throughout their city, right? So, and then also because we don't want to be, we, we are very cautious about our relationship with spaces. If we opened one, if we had one um, space in one city, then potentially somebody could just use DustPass versus joining that space directly. Sure, and so sure. we want to be very cautious that by doing that, we don't disrupt um their you know, own the, business. The, yeah. The, yeah, their own business and the value that we're providing and also our brand, our brand image and integrity and all of that stuff. And then just strategically, you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a reason as well. Well, that, that makes me think, do you then, when you go to a new city, do you say we need to have onboarded, say, 10 spaces mm-hmm. before we open it up to users? Yep, yep. Up until the most recent launch, we did not launch it without 10 cities on the platform. Okay. Um, just because we were going to, oh, yeah, 10, yeah. 10 spaces. Just because we were going into cities that had so many, you know, 30, 40 plus um, at the, you know, New York has 60, 70, 80 plus. But um, you know, now we're going to cities that maybe have 5, 10, 15. Um, so absolutely, yes. Now, you know, we still launch, when we launch, we flip the switch, you know, they're up there at the same time. But Certainly, yes, when we launched, we used to have a, a bare minimum just to make sure that we were staying true to the, the model that we built and were, the service we were delivering. I want to ask one more question before we get to our wrap up. And that is, you know, part of this too, as you expand into new markets, it is a software platform. So part of this is product mm-hmm. development as well. How have you balanced, and this is something I feel like it's always like the entrepreneur and the engineer's conundrum, which is how much mm-hmm. effort do you put towards product versus sales and growth? I'm sure there's some division of labor, but how has DeskPass approached that? Great question, because DeskPass is a technology company and I oversee everything forward facing. So from uh, communication with our members, as well as our partner spaces. So I am not an engineer um, and I am blessed to have an incredible team um, of, you know, engineers and and designers and, and everybody who's built this product. And so, you know, I hold down the fort in terms of everything forward facing while my team behind the scenes, um, you know, acts like wizards and just, and, 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 builds amazing products and continues to, to roll out amazing improvements. So, um, you know, in the early stages, it was build a product that people could use, right? What, what is the base product that allows us to deliver the service? And so our app, you know, our first version of the app, it, it allowed people to book and see spaces, but of course it was glitchy. It was slow. Um, and we collected feedback that whole time and we had very clear communication. So we built a product that people could use and it was, um, and we collected feedback and then we kept a tally on any cancellation reason as well as all of the suggestions. So in the beginning it was like, just, just get it done. Right. And in the middle stages was balanced because we knew that we had to build app V2 and we spent a year doing that behind the scenes while still using the first app. And so it was balancing, you know, allocating the dev time to current product, but in the background, having to build an entirely new product that the, the end user had no idea about and didn't see and was complaining about the bugs. And so it was balancing because we, we could, you know, we, we felt some, nothing hurts more than having a customer cancel and say, I hate your app. It's too slow. Fix it. You know, because we're like, we are fixing it. You just don't know. <laughs> and so it was that balance because, you know, on days like that, we wanted to say, you know, stop the wheels, stop, stop developing the new thing. Just let's fix this first one. But we had to say, no, we know that, you know, app V2 is, is gonna, we have to keep focusing on that. So I think the middle stages was all about balance. And now in the growth stage, look, we have a never ending list of features that we want to uh, roll out. We have a roadmap. Um, and so now in the growth stage, it's all about setting quarterly goals and making it very manageable and avoiding distraction. So every quarter we have a, you know, something, a big rock that we call it that we have to accomplish and the whole team knows about it. Right. So every department, everybody knows. And so it allows us when other things come up, we say, will this distract us from our current goal for this quarter? Um, And then every quarter we choose our new goals based on what the opportunities are, you know, the goals that we had uh, or what we thought might be a goal for next quarter already we're realizing maybe that needs to be changed. So when we have our next 
you know, our Q2 meeting, we're going to figure out what's the most important. So it's all about at the growth stage. It's all about prioritization. Like what, what do we need to do to keep moving? Well, and I can tell you from the user perspective, and I think I've had desk pass since 2017 or no, 2018, 2018, I think. And when I, I think probably for a full year, it, it, to me, it appeared to be essentially just like a mobile optimized site that launched through an app icon. And maybe it's, mm. I think we call it just like a web app, but, or no, it's not a web app, but it, it, it is like a mobile optimized site through, it launches through the app icon. And it was super buggy. Like every time I went into it, I had to re-log <laughs> in, right? It logged me out every time I got out. And yeah, it was annoying, but the, the end reward was, and the end desire was, I need a place to work today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of like, you know, it's going to be different for every company versus like, what do you focus on and when? But in this case, the value of the end result or the end desired result was the ability to do my job that day effectively, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to work somewhere that I feel comfortable working in. So I, I anyway, was willing to put up with getting logged out and having to log back in or not it not loading like the spaces correctly every time. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was not so big of an annoyance that I was saying, I can't use this. And I'm sure you had some people say, I can't use this and cancel, but it sounds like the majority had that same thought process where again, the, the end result was a big yeah. enough, like cookie carrot, whatever you want to call it, that we could put up with some, some annoyance along the way or some friction. Yeah, that's a great point because look, if while we were building the new app, if the first app crashed, of course, we're going to stop, you know, hold the horses and and focus on, you know, fixing that first version that people are currently using because otherwise they don't get their end result. So I I agree. Like, yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's different than like, for example, ordering food where the pretty much the entire experience lives within the app, except the food getting brought to you at the end. Mm -hmm. Pass is like, the portal that gets you to where like, to the end to the end like which is still you going somewhere right and if you compare the two me walking or riding or whatever or going somewhere still is way more effort than having to re-log in and and find my space yeah you know so the again it's that like the amount of friction relative to the larger customer experience uh how do those compare and and that's i think and i, I have zero ux background this is just how my brain is thinking about it I think that's potentially a good way from the user side to be looking at it or from the developer side, like how much will someone put up with and when can mm-hmm. you afford to focus on features versus growth? Mm-hmm. To wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find DeskPass? Can they trial it? And where can they get in touch with you? Uh, we're on all platforms. So, you know, DeskPass, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, also our website, go to deskpass.com. Everybody can get a free trial when they first sign up. So go on and get it. <laughs> uh, and then me personally, you can find me on Instagram, Nicole Renee V on Instagram. Renee with two E's, correct? With two E's. Yep. I think all Renee. Well, I guess technically three E's because it's E-N-E. But <laughs> oh yeah. Good point. I didn't think about that, but I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> with an accent mark on the second E. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So to wrap up, um, we'll go and each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on the discussion today. I'll start and I'll toss it to you. The topic today was rapid marketplace expansion. Um, what I found to be one of the, I think one of the most valuable things that you shared was this notion of keeping as you scale, don't lose the human touch. It may have to be modified in a certain way, but you know, you can, don't, don't automate people if you don't have to, and don't automate mm-hmm. connection if you don't have to. Nicole, top one or two takeaways for the listeners? Uh, follow the opportunity. So leverage your own network and go for that low hanging fruit um, to get you off the ground or to keep moving. And then also it's a continual evolution. A company continually evolves. So make sure that you don't get stuck on your original idea and think that that's going to, you know, save the world. Keep, Keep, keep 
evolving. Um, and then just because I'm an organized person, but like organization is key, not just in your own work, but across your team. So making sure that you're having weekly, quarterly, daily check-ins with your team, however works best, but make sure that everybody is on the same page, even if they are doing vastly different work. My final question before, for you, before I let you go, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Uh, I have to just say my initial thoughts are a few different words. It's exciting, anxiety inducing, fulfilling, and a lifestyle. Because I remember growing up, uh, my dad is a physician and I said, I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then one day I went like in school, we were learning about the body and the health and I saw like blood and I freaked out and I came home and I said, dad, I'm so sorry. I don't think I want to be a doctor. And I was really upset because I told him for years that I was going to be a doctor. And he just looked at me and said, I completely under, like, don't worry about it. It is a lifestyle. Like you have to love this blood. This, this, <laughs> yeah. You have to love blood. And I just remember that it, it really, it released me. And now I realize, like, look, I love what I do, but it is a lifestyle. And so make sure that you have signed up for this wild ride. She is Nicole Vasquez. She is the chief community officer and co-founder of desk pass. Nicole, thank you for joining us today on startup hype man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Woohoo! My entrance, my exit music. <laughs> that concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission, and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well, then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. This dance with the devil Set of sun down too. Yeah. Ooh. This a dance with the devil go. Tell me what you gonna do. No. This a dance with the devil go. And if you can't get it loose, then they fall into the truth. It got your hell in it. Yeah. This a dance with the devil go. Set of sun down too. Yeah. This a dance with the devil go. It's a dance with the devil.